Voice of the Cape Drive Time, 0829-913-913 is the WhatsApp line. That's where you can query, comment, and criticize. An artificial uh, intelligence uh, software or a powered detection system, an AI powered detection system, has predicted, uh, due to its algorithms, that the country is at the moment, at the moment, at a low risk of a third wave of COVID-19 infection. We have to be so careful with our language here. The system functions by predicting future daily confirmed cases based on historical data from the country's past infection history. So I think the question that a lot of people would like to ask, is the country slowly moving away from COVID-19 or will we be hit by a third tsunami? We now chat to who has become a regular guest on our show, Director of Research, Department of Medical Biosciences at the University of the Western Cape, Professor Bertram Fielding. Professor Fielding, welcome. Good afternoon, Shafiq, and good afternoon to the listeners. I've tried to be as careful as I can (laughs) about the language of this because some media houses uh, uh, take things at face value and say it says so-and-so when so-and-so has a lot of qualifications. And I know that can annoy scientists like yourself. <laughs> uh, no, Shafiq, you know, I really do appreciate that. Um, and and your, your wording that you choose is extremely important and, and you're correct. Um, yes, we have some very good models, and this is one of the newest models, that look at historical data um, some of them look at infection rates, um, others of them look at the death rates, and they can then predict uh, whether we're in for a third wave, where the numbers would be increased. All of those, however, is still dependent on human behavior. Um, and testing done. Uh, how much testing was done over the weekend? You know, it was a long weekend, so very little testing was done. So all of those factors can impact on whether we see a third wave or not. I've said in our in our previous interview, I wouldn't be surprised to see one about two weeks after the the um, holiday period, the long weekend, the Easter weekend, um, if people do not change their behavior. Um, and, you know, they keep on wearing masks, sanitize, and physical distancing. And those things are important. So are we out of the woods yet? Um, I think it's too early to tell. We need to wait another week or so to see w- what the infection numbers would really do. In fact, um, as a journalist, obviously, um, I have to to look at the figures every day. And the trends that I've I've observed so far is that um, Monday, Tuesday, the numbers are generally quite low because we're still dealing with the weekend numbers. And recently, we've been well below 1,000, which is really encouraging on paper. And then normally Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, it sort of picks up to about 1,200. Then it drops again. Those at least have been the, the recent trends. Um, fairly encouraging on paper. Uh, that's all I can say because I'm totally unaware of all the other dynamics that are at play. So, 
so you're correct. And, you know, so that shows us it's a function really of, of the testing reporting as well. But we cannot forget, Shafiq, the numbers that we see are people who are tested and who are testing positive. Mm. We know in South Africa now some groups are saying between 30 and 60 percent of people have been infected, but they were asymptomatic or very, very mild symptoms that were never tested. Those people can spread the disease as well. But I think right in, in our first interview, I've always said I'm not concerned about the numbers. I'm concerned about the deaths. And, and if you look, even during the third wave, towards the end of it, the, the, the mortality rate, the death rate, um, kind of decreased quite nicely, even though the numbers were high as well. And I think we're reaching a point with the medications that we have and the vaccine starting to work now that the, the numbers might increase, but the, the death rate would hopefully stay, stay very low. In fact, um, it's interesting we're talking about death rates. Um, I don't know whether I told you previously, um, at the radio station, we do funeral notices every day. And um, the, the old trends used to be whenever the weather changes, um, the deaths go up, uh, particularly in winter. So on, on a very cold winter's day, we could have up to... 15 or 16 death notices, but only three or four times for the winter, then it goes down again. Our summer average is two to three notices a day. Uh, I I know it's very anecdotal, but I can tell you that from um, about middle of December until end of February, there were days when we had 16 funeral notices a day, and we could see by the language on the notices that a huge amount of them were, were COVID-related. And then all of a sudden in March, they just drastically dropped. And I think now for about the past six weeks, we're back at our, our seasonal average. It's interesting how these numbers play out, isn't it? It is. And, and um, you know, if you look at all the, or the majority of factors, the, the number of people that probably have been infected that have um, recovered, they should be um, have fairly good immunity now. The vaccines, Johnson & Johnson takes a one, um, one shot only. Then about four weeks later, you should, you should be protected. Um, the vaccines uh, globally all appear to be very, very effective in preventing deaths. Um, the good medications that we have now, the, the blood thinners and the, the steroids, the anti-inflammatories, you know, so I think this is a trend that we will see. Um, I think this, we might end up with this virus becoming one of the circulating ones. And looking at the data, the global data and research, I cannot see how this will simply just disappear from, from the global population. No, I mean, I, th- I think it won't. And, and as we've said in previous interviews, it could possibly um, become like um, other flu viruses or even like Spanish flu. It's still there, but uh, it doesn't affect the population um, at the scale which it has been doing uh, for the last 18 months. Exactly. And if you, if you recall, we have four circulating human coronaviruses, and those four, um, as far as we know, are not deadly. They cause about 10 to about 30% of the common cold globally every year. I think this will turn out to be the first one. Um, so unlike, unlike SARS 2003 that just disappeared, and MERS that is still circulating but very, very low infection numbers, I think this one will become a circulating one. I think you're correct.
So um, a lot of people are saying, <clears throat> yes, we're going to have a big third wave. But if I, 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 I look around the world and I see countries that are experiencing what people are calling a third wave, okay, the numbers are not as bad as what they were the first two times. But it always seems to be countries that previously didn't respect the virus. Uh, some European countries who did not have lockdowns, didn't really respect social distancing, etc. It seems as if some countries that didn't play the game in the beginning are now paying a, a long-term price. Is it, is it a, um, a reasonable statement to make? I think partially um, you're correct, Shafiq. Um, I think it is it's a matter of uh, us constantly reminding people to wear the mask, to sanitize and to keep physical distancing to have those with high risk of developing severe COVID to take the vaccine. Um, and if we do those, we look globally. Um, even if we do get a third wave, third waves, you, 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 we saw it in 1918 with the Spanish flu as well. It will be smaller, in my opinion, than the second wave. Um, and the numbers of deaths will be even even lower, much, much lower. So if this does become one of the circulating ones, then we need to expect to see these almost cyclic occurrences of, of these viruses. We see it with the other four human coronaviruses in winter, especially um, they tend to, to peak, so there's a slight peak in numbers, and then it decreases again, but they can be found throughout the year. I think we'll see the same. Now, something else about the, the, uh, the vaccinations would you agree there's a lot of hysteria? I mean, people refusing to take AstraZeneca, uh, research coming out and finding that Sinovac, the Chinese vaccine, is just above 50%, which apparently is the, the, the trademark or, or sort of the cutoff mark. Surely the point is that any of these vaccines uh, in the long term is going to prevent people from advancing to more serious versions of the disease so that any one of these vaccines will have some kind of prophylactic uh, function. And you see, that is part of the frustration, um, Shafiq, because even when we report this data, I think how we report it needs to be very careful. You look at all of these vaccines, the data that I've seen, all of these vaccines they say protect you from death and hospitalization. What does that really mean? In the older age groups, uh, those with comorbidities that tend to have a higher death rate, in those, uh, there's almost 100% protection. As soon as you take all the data amongst the age groups and you, you try to average it, then you see these 55, 60s. Johnson & Johnson, for instance, if you look overall, it is 68% protection. When they talk about uh, prevention of hospitalizations, it's 85% effective, and deaths, they're talking about 100. We need to really look at age categories, and that's what I've, I've said from the start. These vaccines are really about minimizing hospitalizations and deaths, and in which age groups and which categories do you have the highest risk? Those are the ones that we should target. Then the numbers look really, really good. I, I mean, I'm struggling to understand why this awareness is, is not coming through. Um, are we failing in the media? Is the medical and research professions not communicating properly? Where is the fault line? Because uh, there seems to be a major communication uh, breakdown is the wrong word, but the wrong message always comes through. 
Shafiq, because we as scientists can't even agree on this. You know, there are, <laughs> right. there are scientists that are pushing uh, for vaccination of everybody in the population. We're talking in South Africa about 40 million. Um, in my opinion, it should not be 40 million. If somebody has been infected before, there's very clear data that they are protected against some of the variants even. So do they really need a vaccine? Um, somebody that's not at high risk, do they need a vaccine? In my opinion, no, um, because they would have mild symptoms anyway. So if you're living with somebody that, that, that is at high risk, they take the vaccine. If they can't take the vaccine, then you take it. But we can't agree. A colleague in, I think, from the UK said the other day on Twitter, uh, the science um, saying that nobody should take the vaccine it's just as bad as saying everybody should take the vaccine, if you look at the science. So it, it's somewhere in the center, in my opinion. Yeah, it's crazy. Something else interesting that, that's coming through, and I don't know whether that's coming through in the algorithms, is that we are beginning to notice, and I can only speak anecdotally, is that at the schools, we do not seem to be getting many reports of um, COVID infections <laughs> At the schools from young people, I see you, you laughed there. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about that. <laughs> because you remember we had this conversation um, towards the middle of last year. Yes. And, and the data has not changed. The data has always <laughs> been very clear. Um, even if you have adequate, so not the best um, um, interventions at schools, the risk is extremely slow. Globally, there's evidence that kids are infected in their communities when they are at home. So the risk for kids are much, much higher in the communities, not at school. And, and we've seen this for, for the other coronaviruses as well. So uh, that is not surprising at all, unfortunately. Yeah. So the artificial intelligence um, scenario, um, looking at, 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 at the future scenario, your advice to anybody who's read the story and who wants to go and have a party, okay, a social distancing party, they're politically correct, that we just have to sit back and understand we de we we're dealing with data at the moment and we have to kind of wait and see whether the AI's prediction will prove to be scientifically correct. And any, any computer program, any artificial intelligence works on data that's input by somebody. Data, uh, data up to today could be a specific trend. If we have an entire community that changes behavior today, it will, it will nullify all of the previous behavior. So it's extremely dangerous. Um, something that we forget, um, and another measure is when you feel ill, please stay at home and get tested. You cannot, uh, you know, isolate yourself. That is still extremely important. I'm hearing too often people saying they're not feeling well, but it's just a cold. It's unlikely to be a cold. Have yourself tested. Uh, so so the behavior of people is extremely important. In Brazil, for instance, you know Brazil now has the second highest number of deaths and infection rates are just soaring. When scientists went and they looked at when these peaks, when these increasing numbers happened, it happened after Carnival and huge numbers of young people having parties with no measures in place. Then you will have a spread. So you add, an, you add a drop 
and de- in death rate and infection and in older people and an increase in both of those younger people. They're the ones who will party. Yeah, and I'm sure you'd agree, Professor Fielding, that this is a warning to young South Africans uh, not to go and party as if the world is going to end because um, they will ultimately be the carriers, and to put it quite bluntly, they could be the carriers of death. Exactly. Asymptomatic um, young people still tend to be asymptomatic carriers and spreaders. And there's data coming to the fourth for now about long COVID, long haul COVID, where somebody's um, not infected anymore, but they still have symptoms. And people are suffering, and it, it appears that this is especially severe COVID um, um, patients and, and mild to moderate. So, so let's be careful. Professor Bertram Fielding. Um uh, Director of Research, Department of Medical Biosciences at the University of the Western Cape. As always, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Shafiq. Have a great afternoon. Drive time on 91.3. Always on the cutting edge.